Anyway, um, news and um, some funny news and some good news, some serious news. So, um, okay. Friday, November 5, 2021. Ah, uh, uh, Mozart. Very, I'm thinking when I have a shower, Mozart in the music. I don't know, man. It's, <laughs> listen to this. 1783 Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart S Symphony number no. 36 is performed for the first time in Linz, Austria. Um this guy is a he's a old um 105 no 105 106 106 years old and uh still cranking. Listen to this, man. <laughs> Let's say I like to go to the dollar store. I go there for a buck. I pick this and that. I like to go there. Yeah. And uh, somebody take me to the dollar store and then take me back home. That's all. You know that I'm 106. And in November 28th, next couple of months, I'll be 107 years old. I was born in New Haven, on Worcester Street, where they make pizza. When I was 104, I says, I'm going for more. When I became 105, I was still alive. When I became 106, like now, there's nothing to fix. I hope to be 107, but I'm not ready for heaven. I may be 108, fine, great. I may be 109, fine. I may even become 110, but only God knows when. The stockbroker, I've been an auto parts jobber, salesman of all kinds. I've done good things. Artist, writer. Wow. About three quarters of a year. I've got about 20 credits. First year, never went to college. I didn't have the money. My family couldn't afford it. So there you go. So you... And then I became a stockbroker and I made good money as a stockbroker. Wow. I sold uh, a lot of tax-free bonds. Yep. That was my specialty, tax-free bonds. Get a check every month. And where 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 did you work? Hartford, Connecticut, on the fifteenth floor, at my own office. The chief of the Republican uh, trumpet, Republican trumpet. It was an organ of the Republican Party in New Haven, and I was the editor chief, and I wrote all all the copy. And then there was a publication. Uh, called the New Haven News. I was the co-editor in the news. I did. I wrote all the editorials, all that. So I was, I was, uh, yeah, uh, I was alive. Car accident in 2007. Oh yeah. Yeah, I had some spinal cord injury, but I'm here. <laughs> You're still around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're still around. I'm still kicking. <laughs> Do the best you can with courage and patience.
the Arthur Ashe. Yeah. I liked the guy, the guy, that Arthur Ashe, he was a wonderful guy. Outside and there's a suitcase full of $1,000 bills. That's my fantasy. I figured that's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I'll give it away to charity. Oh. I me under the sun, whether near to me or far. I recommend that to somebody, anybody who wants the longevity, two eggs in the morning. Two eggs. I get around, but I don't hear too well, and I don't see too well. But otherwise, happy days are here again. Um, the weather, and uh, not the weather, the uh, all the weather, and the atmosphere and um, Summit and uh, you know they're listening to that and um, I don't know I'm thinking it's uh, it's not enough and we're doomed and anyway not doomed but uh, turn this around so anyway listen to this at the COP26 climate conference, world leaders warned that inaction on climate wouldn't just invite more hurricanes than we can name it could literally topple governments. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the host of the negotiations, said in a speech that people's anger would be uncontainable if leaders didn't tackle the problem. A few days ago, Johnson compared the climate threat to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Hot temps equals hotter tempers. Governments, especially in Europe, are concerned that the challenges of transitioning to a greener economy could spark a populist uprising of citizens, the NYT reports. For example, look at what's happening in European energy markets. As countries like the UK have phased out coal in a shift to renewables, they've become dependent on natural gas but that has skyrocketed in price this fall. Spanish demonstrators took to the streets in September to protest spiraling electricity bills, leading the government to cap energy companies' profits and help out households. Not all about rich countries. Lower-income nations that face the more immediate threats of climate change like rising sea levels and extreme heat could become major sources of geopolitical instability. According to reports from the White House, the Pentagon, and U.S. intelligence agencies last month, this is a major change in thinking because up until now, the U.S. military has mainly viewed climate change in terms of, let's make sure we're prepared for terrible weather. The new approach is more like, climate change could spark wars, mass migration, and competition for dwindling resources that threaten global security. Looking ahead. Doomsday predictions make great headlines, but they don't solve any problems. World leaders will depart the COP26 today after wrapping up their speeches, leaving other government officials to nail down the details of actual policies. One of those policies, India, the world's third largest emitter, said it would reach net zero emissions by 2070 in a surprise announcement. 
This guy, uh, Tesla, the owner guy, um, <laughs> the president, this guy, read this, man. Oh, boy. You know, like Biden held this uh, EV summit. Um, didn't invite Tesla. An EV summit on the White House. Um, didn't mention Tesla once and praised GM and Ford for leading the EV revolution. So you were pissed. Does, does this sound, does this sound uh, maybe a little biased uh, or something? Um, so, um, and then, you know, just, uh, just not the friendliest administration. This is what I think about this morning. Uh, <laughs> read on. Ten years is a long time for us humans on Earth. Ten turns around the sun. When I was on the TED stage a decade ago, I talked about planetary boundaries that keep our planet in a state that allowed humanity to prosper. The main point is that once you transgress one, the risks start multiplying. The planetary boundaries are all deeply connected, but climate alongside biodiversity are core boundaries. They impact on all others. Back then, we really thought we had more time. The warning lights were on, absolutely, but no unstoppable change had been triggered. Since my talk, we have increasing evidence that we are rapidly moving away from the safe operating space for humanity on Earth. Climate has reached a global crisis point. We have now had 10 years of record-breaking climate extremes. Fires blaze in Australia, Siberia, California, and the Amazon. Floods in China, Bangladesh, and India. We're now enduring heat waves across the entire Northern Hemisphere. We risk crossing tipping points that shift the planet from being our best resilient friend, dampening our impacts, to start working against us, amplifying the heat. For the first time, we are forced to consider the real risk of destabilizing the entire planet. Our children can see this. They are walking out of school to demand action, looking with disbelief at our inability to deviate away from potentially catastrophic risks. The next 10 years to 2030 must see the most profound transformation the world has ever known. This is our mission. This is the countdown. When my scientific colleagues summarized about a decade ago for the first time, the state of knowledge on climate tipping points, just one place had strong evidence that it was on a serious downward spiral, Arctic sea ice. Other tipping points were long way off, 50 or 100 turns around the sun. Just last year, we revisited these systems and I got the shock of my career. We are only a few decades away from an Arctic without sea ice in summer. In Siberia, permafrost is now thawing at dramatic scales. Greenland is losing trillions of tons of ice and may be approaching a tipping point. The great forests of the north are burning with plumes of smoke the size of Europe. The Atlantic Ocean circulation is slowing. 
the Amazon rainforest is weakening and may start emitting carbon within 15 years. Half of the coral of the Great Barrier Reef has died. West Antarctica may have crossed the tipping point already today. And now, the most solid of glaciers on Earth, East Antarctica, parts of it are becoming unstable. Nine out of the 15 big biophysical systems that regulate climate are now on the move, showing worrying signs of decline and potentially approaching tipping points. Tipping points bring three threats. First, sea level rise. We can already expect up to one meter this century. This will endanger the homes of 200 million people. But when we add the melting ice from Antarctica and Greenland into the equation, this might lead to a two-meter rise. But it won't stop there. It will keep on getting worse. Second, if our carbon stores like permafrost and forest flip to belching carbon, then this makes the job of stabilizing temperatures so much harder. And third, these systems are all linked. Like dominoes, if you cross one tipping point, you lurch closer to others. Let's stop for a moment and look at where we are. The foundation of our civilization is a stable climate and a rich diversity of life. Everything, I mean everything, is based on this. Civilization has thrived in a Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold. This is what we have had for 10,000 years since we left the last ice age. Let's zoom out a little here. Three million years. Temperatures have never broken through the two degrees Celsius limit. Earth has self-regulated within a very narrow range of plus two degrees in a warm interglacial, minus four degrees deep ice age. Now we are following a path that would take us to a three to four degree world in just three generations. We would be rewinding the climate clock, not one million, not two million, but five to ten million years. We are drifting towards hothouse Earth. For each one degree rise, one billion people will be forced to live in conditions that we today largely consider uninhabitable. This is not a climate emergency, it is a planetary emergency. My fear is not that Earth will fall over a cliff on the 1st of January 2030. My fear is that we press unstoppable buttons in the Earth's system. What happens in the next 10 years will likely determine the state of the planet we hand over for future generations. Our children have every reason to be alarmed. We need to get serious about stabilizing our planet. Two frontiers will guide this transformation. The first one is in science. Here is a new equation for a sustainable planet. Planetary boundaries plus global commons equals planetary stewardship. We need to find a safe corridor for humanity to allow us all to become stewards of the entire planet. Not to save the planet, but to provide a good future for all people. And the second frontier is in society. We need a new economic logic based on well-being. We are now in a position to provide science-based targets for all global commons, for all companies and cities in the world. First task, we need to cut global emissions by half by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050 or sooner. This means decarbonizing the big systems that run our lives. Energy, industry, transport, buildings. The fossil fuel era is over. We need to transform agriculture from a source of emissions to a store of carbon. And critically, we must protect our oceans and land. 
the natural ecosystems that absorb half of our emissions. The good news is, we can do this. We have the knowledge. We have the technology. We know it makes social and economic sense. And when we succeed, we can all take lungfuls of fresh air. We will be saying hello to healthy lifestyles and resilient economies in livable cities. We are all on this journey around the sun together. This is our only home. This is our mission to protect our children's future. Thank you. Friday, November 5, 2021. Friday, November 5, 2021. Friday, November 5, 2021. Friday, November 5, 2021. Well, that's it, man. Next time.